Your Xfinity Home security system can't walk the dog, but it can tell you what he does while you're not around. And it can't stop your kids from sneaking out either. But it can let you choose what real-time security alerts you receive. So you're always in control. No matter what you're doing around the house, Xfinity Home can help with a new way to customize your home security. And it was named the best professionally installed home security system by CNET. Click, call 1-800-XFINITY or demo in your local Xfinity store today. Xfinity Home. Simple, easy, awesome. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. This week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, Daniel Bryan joins us. I'm going to let you know everything I'm doing over SummerSlam weekend. We will break down SummerSlam, TakeOver, and everything else in the state of wrestling. Plus, you get to hear this intro for the last time because next week it changes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Yeah, from New York. More specifically, from the Not Sam Studio. Here in New York. The epicenter of the world. That's what all of us in New York think of it is. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. That's the last time you're going to hear me say welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Well, I guess that's the last time you'll hear me say welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Well, I guess we're stuck in a loop. It's Inception. It's the last time you're going to hear me say that because next week we make the switch over. This is the last one. It's episode 199, and that's plenty. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast next week becomes Not Sam Wrestling at episode 200. The show officially becomes Not Sam Wrestling, and if you get this show the minute it comes out, if you're listening to it right now, it's Thursday morning. That means you still have an opportunity tonight to be a part of the 200th episode. It's going to be live at Caroline's on Broadway in New York City. Renee Young, Pat McAfee, Dalton Castle, Bruce Pritchard, and more surprises will all be there at Caroline's 9.30 p.m. tonight, August 16th. That's when this podcast comes out. If you want to get tickets, go to carolines.com. You're going to want to be there. It's history. It's the night that this here podcast, Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, becomes not Sam Wrestling. And it is how we begin SummerSlam week and SummerSlam weekend, really. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about it. It really didn't hit me until probably today. You know that the, the whole thing is happening. There's so much going on. I got my two shows happening on Thursday which is today, the time this podcast gets released. That's, uh, um, you know, the SiriusXM event, Summer Sam 4. That'll be on SiriusXM Faction Talk, Channel 103 over the weekend. It'll also be on demand with Alexa Bliss and Samoa Joe. Follow it up with the 200th episode live at Caroline's. There's a big poster with my big ugly mug on it on Broadway right now outside of Caroline's. It's amazing. I posted a photo of it over at Instagram.com slash NotSam. Friday, there's stuff happening all over the city. WWE's in town. I'm sure I'm going to have people on my radio show over on Sirius. Saturday is, of course, NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. I Brooklyn 4. I was in the audience for TakeOver Brooklyn 1. One of my favorite shows I've ever been to live. We're at TakeOver Brooklyn 4. And I'm going to get to be on the panel for the pre-show. It's unbelievable. It'll be uh, the old NXT trifecta. Back at it again. Yours truly, Sam Roberts, the last professional broadcaster, along with Pat McAfee, and of course, Charlie Caruso, anchoring the whole thing down. 
uh, as we rally up towards NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. That'll be on WWE Network, and the pre-show will be on WWE's YouTube channel and whatnot. And then Sunday? Sunday? You're talking about SummerSlam? Where I will once again be on the SummerSlam kickoff show. Kickoff show starts at 5 p.m. Eastern because the pay-per-view starts at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and uh, I'll, be on the, I'll be on the kickoff show. First SummerSlam on the WWE Network um, as well as across all forms of WWE social media. And then, you know, WWE's still in town. Monday and Tuesday, Raw at the Barclays Center here in New York City in Brooklyn. So needless to say, I'm like crazy, crazy excited about everything that's going on. It's going to be a complete tornado. It's going to be a hurricane of sports entertainment, pro wrestling activity, and we're going to break down a lot of it in State of Wrestling. I think that this week gave us a ton to talk about with SummerSlam. You know, I I was laying it out. I was looking at the card as I was thinking about what I'm going to do in the State of Wrestling segment on the podcast this week, and I really realized that low-key, low-key, WWE has created a pretty great SummerSlam card. You may be thinking because you go, oh, I don't know if I want to see Roman Brock again. Oh, it's weird that they're doing Shinsuke and Jeff Hardy. I thought they were going to do Shinsuke and somebody else. Like, there's, there's a couple, maybe, that you're going like, oh, I don't know about that one. But when you really start laying it out, when you look at the fact that AJ Styles and Samoa Joe are wrestling for the WWE Championship, when you look at the fact that we're finally getting the Miz-Daniel Bryan match, the Alexa Bliss-Ronda Rousey match, there's a ton. We'll go over it all in State of Wrestling, but there is a ton to talk about with SummerSlam, as well as with TakeOver Brooklyn 4. TakeOver Brooklyn, to me, is NXT's kind of marquee show, mainly because the idea of NXT performing in arenas in front of crowds that are the same size as WWE pay-per-view crowds originated in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center with the first NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. I can't believe we're already on the fourth one. That was the night that Sasha Banks and Bayley had a match that, to this day, I think about. There aren't many matches that have been that good. That was the night that Finn Balor and Kevin Owens met in a ladder match. When you look at the careers that have spawned off that, you know, some of them tremendous, some of them, I don't know. You know, there's just so much conversation to be had, and it really is just consistently amazing. And the product that NXT has been putting out, we'll talk about how they handled not having Aleister Black at TakeOver. Um... I don't want to give my opinion on it yet because we'll talk about it in the state of wrestling. But a lot, a lot to talk about. Uh, And speaking of SummerSlam, you know, we've got the Daniel Bryan-Miz match coming up. My guest this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast is Daniel Bryan. Uh, My pals over at 2K Sports, they asked me, uh, 2K Games, they asked me if I wanted to talk to Daniel Bryan about his inclusion in the game. And when I talked to him, this was a couple days ago, this was before they announced uh, the part that he would play in WWE 2K19. Uh, I didn't know what the announcement was, but I was like, yeah, of course. Uh, and I guess probably in the bridge segment, because it doesn't make sense for me to talk about what 2K is doing with Daniel Bryan before we talk to Daniel Bryan about it. So we'll revisit that in the bridge segment, but I just, I think it's amazing. And one of the things that I really wanted to talk to Brian about on the podcast today was... I think for fans, we're still kind of processing and figuring figuring out where Daniel Bryan's place in the world is in terms of the WWE universe. It, it, it seemed like out of nowhere, he gets cleared. I don't think anybody necessarily saw it coming at that exact moment. 
right away, he gets thrust into this match at WrestleMania. And ever since then, he's just rolling. You know, he's in the ring. All these dream matches that you were like, ah, it'd be nice to see it. They're all just kind of rolling out. You know, he's wrestling on SmackDown. He's back to being a full-fledged wrestler, almost like the two and a half years before didn't happen. I feel like as a fan, we haven't been given time to process. And maybe I'm just too big of a Daniel Bryan fan. But I feel like there was it was traumatic losing Daniel Bryan. And the idea that he's back is something that I'm like, I don't even know if I'm ready for it yet. It seems like one of those things where you would want to announce it like three months before it's actually going to happen and build up and build up and build up. But the fact is, WWE did it the right way in the sense that WrestleMania is whenever it was, a week or two from the announcement that Daniel Bryan could go again. And guess what? If he can go again... He should be at WrestleMania. And if he wasn't, I think all of us would be asking, why wouldn't you just have him at WrestleMania? So, um, you know, I think it's tremendously unique, the story of Daniel Bryan, in the sense that he retired. We weren't all told, let's see, wait and see what happens. We were all, as fans, told that Daniel Bryan was certainly done. You're not going to see him in the WWE anymore. His injuries are too much. So to see him come back, out of nowhere, just be like, guess what? The doctor's cleared me. You go, what? And he's competing right away. It's kind of an amazing thing. So as much difficulty as I've had processing the fact that this is actually happening, I wanted to talk to him about how he's processed it. Maybe he saw it coming. Maybe he was able to wrap his head around it before, but I just can't imagine. If it worked as quickly for him as it did for us, how does a guy that was dealing with that. I mean, giving him depression. You saw it on the Total Divas reality show, if you watch it, or Total Bellas, whatever reality show he was dealing with his depression. He was dealing with his depression on one of these shows. You saw how affected he was by not competing in WWE. So when he gets the life-changing news, hey, you're coming back, was it as sudden for him as it was for all of us? That was one of the things that I really wanted to get into, as well as many, many other things. He's a, a really, I mean, when you talk to this guy, I mean, I was going to say when you talk to Daniel Bryan, you're getting the real Daniel Bryan, but I feel like when you sit down and talk to Daniel Bryan, you're getting the real Bryan Danielson. Like, he he, is, he, does, he doesn't really put it on for interviews, at least for the ones that we have. So, you know, I, I just, I find him very, very interesting. He gives you the real answers from his perspective, and he's living a pretty honest life. So uh, I was super happy when 2K made the offer um, and I took him up on it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast this week is none other than the man himself, Daniel Bryan. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Welcome back to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, not Sam Wrestling, the whole deal. Daniel Bryan, it's been, it's really interesting. I feel like every time we talk, I mean, I guess with you, for some reason in the last several years, every time there's a chance to talk to you, you're on like uh, some big life milestone or something huge and, and dramatic is in the process of happening or whatever it is. Last time we talked, we were going down like uh, percentages of chances that you would be back wrestling, that you would be back in WWE, that you'd be back in somewhere else. Like you had this whole mathematics scheme planned out. And then it kind of seemed like leading up to WrestleMania, you got the news that you'd be back and then went right back in, in, a, in a bit of a whirlwind. Is that kind of how it happened? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I found out 
so I had done this media tour. I did uh, the Bahrain Comic Con, the first Comic Con in Bahrain, <laughs> uh, on a, on a Friday. I went and did the Special Olympics on Abu Dhabi on a maybe it was on a Saturday, and then it was a Special Olympics on Abu Dhabi on a Sunday, and then flew from there to Dallas, Texas. And right before I flew, they told me, "Hey, we're going to fly you to Pittsburgh to do to meet with Dr. Moon and some doctors." And so I had like an inkling that something was up. So I went, flew to Dallas from Dubai, which is a long flight, <laughs> to, to Dallas, Dallas to Pittsburgh, met with doctors, was there for several hours, and then uh, got the news I was cleared, and then they made the announcement the next day. And then the next day I was getting punched in the face. So <laughs> I mean, so like, I, I guess, but I guess that's part of the lifestyle, because in my head I'm going... I don't understand how you have time to process like this thing that has been eating away at you for two years plus. Like it's it's all you've wanted to do and it's been a source of frustration and anxiety and all this stuff. You've got about 36 hours from the time uh, that you find out that it is really going to happen to the time that it's happening. But at the same time... No, like- no, 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 no. It's much less. <laughs> it's much less. So I found out I was cleared yeah. at 9.30 p.m. on the Monday... Smackdown Live. Oh my God! Went, goes on at, at eight p.m. So it was less than twenty-four hours. So you're talking about about twenty-two uh, I getting, hours. I I was getting punched. I was getting punched in the face. Probably twenty tw- in twenty-four hours and fifteen minutes after I found out I was cleared. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guessed is I I suppose that's best case scenario. It kind of feels like they go, okay, Brian, you wanted this so badly. Fine, here it is. We're we're doing it. Like. We, yep. That had to be due to the, like you're train. You must have been training for a return the entire time you were out, just in case. No, I wasn't. So then, so how I do you just jump like, back in? I, well, so I so I I train all the time, like as far as like uh, like so I'll do a little bit of jujitsu and kickboxing and stuff, but I always work out just because that's something I enjoy doing, mm-hmm. and so. And cardio, it's interesting. Cardio has never been an issue for me. Like, uh, I was talking about it with some of the guys in the locker room. And so when you get really exhausted in a match, it's called getting blown up. Right. right? So the point where it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so blown up, Hello? right? Mm-hmm. I, I've gotten... I've gotten blown up twice in my entire career. (laughs) There's only only two times. One was in 2003. I was wrestling Paul London in a 40-minute match. And uh, I had gotten up to 210 pounds because I was really trying to put on weight. And I was just like, and then shortly after like the 25-minute mark in this match, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm tired. What is this? (laughs) And then. And then the other was like a completely opposite scenario where I was, uh, I had just gotten signed by WWE after being on the independence for 10 years. And they just, I had just sat at home and they didn't tell me anything that was up and it was around Christmas time. Right. And so like I was, I was training really hard with my jujitsu and kickboxing and working out and stuff like that. But then I went home for Christmas and I was like, certainly they're not going to call me to the raw after Christmas. And so I was just eating nothing but, like, junk food and just, like, the worst <laughs> diet possible. And then they bring me to TV, and I did a five-minute match with Chavo Guerrero, and I was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, those are, the, those are the two times in my life I've ever been tired. But, no, yeah, I've, I've never really had to worry about conditioning or anything like that. So. Well, that Chavo experience is probably the other thing that's like, you know what, even though I'm not wrestling and I'm not wrestling for the foreseeable – 
I can't just sit around and eat eating junk food because this isn't like I'm not God given. Like if at some point yeah. I decide to just sit around and eating eating junk food, it'll all go away. Yeah. Well, and it's just like it's to me more so. I think uh, more so, and I'm really in the process of this now. I had gotten really small more than more than like gaining on get uh i had gotten down to 175 pounds which was lighter than is around the same weight i was when i had graduated high school mm -hmm. and so uh because my body just feels better at that weight right like without care like i was running three and a half uh th three and a half to five miles a couple times a week on top of doing jujitsu and lifting and all that kind of stuff you know what i mean and so that's a that's probably more of my natural body weight is 175 and so it, it was more like oh no i'm gonna be too skinny <laughs> <laughs> so at, at what point do you get to sit down and say oh my god like this is happening i'm back this thing that i was waiting to happen for years is happening is it after that first SmackDown where you actually, because like for me as a fan watching, and I think a lot of fans felt the same way, at first when you hear the announcement, it's like, okay, what are they going to do? Are they going to treat him with kids, kid gloves? Is he going to wrestle like once every three months? Is he going to, but when you got hit, it was one thing. But when you did the thing where you're going corner to corner and you're full force doing the drop kicks where you fall back full force on your back and you're, you're going at the pace that you were going two years ago, that was number one, the moment for me that I was like, oh my God, he's, this is just now happening. He's just back. And at the same time, and I think people felt this way for the first couple months that you were back going, no, 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 don't, ooh, is he okay? Is he going to be all right? Is he okay? You know, um, uh -huh. for you, what was that experience like? And at what point did you get to kind of process the fact that this goal had been achieved? Well, so it was interesting because that night when I was doing it, I, uh, there was really a joy, uh, a joy in my heart as I was doing it. Right. Like, yeah. uh, I, I, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times, but I feel like if you were to go back and watch it and they're beating me up, you might detect a slight smirk on my face. <laughs> that, like, 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 uh, like, like I'm having a great time. You know what I mean? Like, I can't believe that I'm doing this. Uh, as far as processing it went, it's still, I'm still in the, in the middle of processing it. You know what I mean? As yeah. far as like, um, I feel so grateful to have this thing that I love back in my life. And while also like my home life is better than it's ever been in my, not that my home life has ever been bad, but it's like, I love going home and seeing, seeing Bree and the baby. Right. I love it. Uh -huh. It's like, uh, I love being at home. I love my job. And like to have these two things that you love so much um, in your in your life, like it, it really, you know, I really got dealt a great a great hand of cards. You know what I mean? In this, at least in this moment in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So so yeah, it's it's more that like I constantly feel that sense of gratitude. Last night. I w we were wrestling in Gainesville, Florida, mm -hmm. and uh, we're doing Orlando tonight. And I got to meet up with my wife last night, right? You know, when I got to my hotel room, and so it's like these these moments of joy where I just uh, wrestled Shelton Benjamin in Gainesville, Florida, which uh, was really really fun. And yeah. Then, uh, then now I'm reunited with my wife, and then tomorrow I'll uh, I get to go go to Washington State for a day, and then. After that, uh, I get to go home and see my baby and my wife and spend five days with them. So it's like, 
I'm constantly looking forward to the, like, you know how sometimes you just look forward to, okay, I'm looking forward to this thing, but it's like a ways away. Yeah. Like I'm, I constantly within days I have stuff that I'm really looking forward to. Like almost every other day it's like, oh man, I can't wait for this or I can't wait for that. And that brings a real sense of joy to my life. That's amazing. Um, do you, are you the type of person, uh, that like is now worried that it, now that it, you've lived through it being taken away from you at a point when, you know, in your mind and in your body, you didn't necessarily think that it should be, you didn't feel like it should be. Do you worry that because it came back so fast at any given moment, it could just go away again? Or are you not that type of thinker? No, I don't worry about it, but I'm also more aware of the fact that that's a possibility. And I think that that brings, rather than worrying about it, it brings me more of a sense of joy into what I'm doing. And this idea that like, okay, last night in Gainesville mm-hmm. could have been my last match. You know, right. like you always, you have to you have to keep in mind and that that's the case. That last night in Gainesville could, be my, could have been my last match. And so... Uh, so really appreciate it, right? Really enjoy being able to go out there and like, who would have thought, even like with Shelton Benjamin, right? I wrestled him once, I think in 2010. Uh, and he's really good and he's a really fun guy to wrestle. And so it's like, who would have thought that, okay, so if this is, if this happens to be my last match, approach it with a sense of joy. Like, Hey, I'm very lucky to be able to do this and really go out there and soak it all in each night and, and do do it in a way that you love to do it as opposed to sometimes when uh, before when you get in the grind of being on the road and all that kind of stuff and you just expect things to go on kind of forever. It's like, okay, I'm doing this because this is the way we should do it or because this is what the fans expect or because of this or because of that. And the reality is that fans want to see uh, something something that they're going to enjoy, but I think they also enjoy it when you're out there enjoying it as well. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, so you can feel it. Kind of, yeah, and so that's uh, so that's kind of a, it's just a different approach, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I and that that is that should happen. That's probably the healthiest way to look at it. Uh, when we talked last, and you were talking about the hypothetical of you returning, you were talking about the difference between a full schedule and not working a full schedule. And when we talked about WWE, in your mind. You had this idea of of coming back to not a full schedule, uh, which you haven't as of now. I mean, I'm sure you're still in this whirlwind. I'm using the world word whirlwind too many times, but you're just in this in this space of like going match to match and and enjoying it, like you said. But are you still looking at that like like I don't know if I want to be back doing a full schedule, or now that you're doing it, are you like yeah, this is what I should be doing? No, so uh, I don't want to do a full schedule, mm-hmm. and I think WWE has been um, has been very gracious in working with me to not do a, a complete schedule. And we're and we're just kind of talking like they it's like a it they work with me to be like, hey, we would really like you to do these shows because you know because these shows you know we need this or that or whatever. Right. But then also giving me time to be at home with my family and you know and also hey, there's realistically every time you go out there you're there's a risk right so yeah. mitigating the risk of how many how many times you're going out there and doing something you know what i mean and so uh so like i i like the schedule of about 
50 to 100 matches a year. It may be, end up being a little bit more with WWE just because of the nature of how many shows they run and all that kind of stuff and what, you know, and the fans and the fans want to see certain people, right? So it's like, yeah. hey, we're bringing the SmackDown show to this certain place. They really they would they really want to see Daniel Bryan, right? So it's like, okay. So it's it's doing that and uh, and just kind of finding those those kind of compromises. But for example, in 2013, I did 227 matches. It's ridiculous. Like, I have no interest. Right. I, I have no interest in ever doing 200 matches again in my career. Right. I just have I have no interest. My body doesn't want to do that. I'm 37 years old, man. <laughs> <laughs> and like, so not only does my body not want to do it, but I don't want to spend that much time away from away from the baby and that sort of thing. And so, so yeah, I, I like they're really working with me on that, and, and I'm appreciative of that. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think people that that don't have kids realize that, especially at the age, because we have kids that are around the same age. Like, you go away for four days, and you come back home, and they've learned like 10 new things out of the blue and oh, you're like, yeah. like this is yeah. how is this going so, this fast one of the most gratifying things to me is because i'm always the one who who leaves and then um when i come back birdie's learned something new uh brie had to go to uh tahoe and you know poor her she had to go to tahoe, like tahoe <laughs> for uh for uh to film for for total divas right and so she was gone for for i think it was about five days and so it was just me uh just uh, one-on-one dad time with, with Birdie. And so I spend a lot of time on the floor with her. And then when Brie came back, uh, so I, I, I'm constantly doing like little amateur wrestling sit-outs and stuff. <laughs> when I came back, Birdie was doing amateur wrestling sit-outs. And, and oh you know, and they're God. just like, they're, they're just little baby spins. But she's doing it. <laughs> Brie goes, oh my gosh, when did she start doing that? And I was like, Friday. Friday. <laughs> 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 and I was just like, yes. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, it, you know, like, but yeah, things things change on a regular basis, and more so than anything else, what I, more so than missing when she does something the first time, like I'm afraid more so of uh, being away when and not being able to appreciate the things when she stops doing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like right now, she's she's walking around and she's got that last little bit of of toddle in mm-hmm. her where her arms. I don't know if you ever watched Rugrats when you were a kid. Definitely. But like Tommy from Rugrats would always waddle in this really weird way. And I, I always thought that was funny when I watched it as a kid. But that's actually the way that babies like walk when they're first learning to walk. And so like Birdie's got the last little bit of that. And now she's starting to walk a little bit more regular. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm really going to miss that. And so it's like enjoying all those little moments that you can. Yeah, and just trying to take a hundred videos and get everything like like recorded. So it's like, no, it, this is the way it used to be. And um, no, 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 no. So I'm the opposite. Bree is like that. You don't take Bree videos. Is the one who's like, oh, I'm the worst because what I do is I'm actually. I don't know if this is bad or if this is good. I enjoy it while it's happening, and my uh. first reaction is not to grab my phone and take a video. My first reaction is like oh my gosh, this is just the best. So she started doing this thing where she grabs, we have this little bookshelf for her, and she she grabs a book, she comes over, she gives it to me, and then she turns her little body around and sits down in my lap. It's the, and yeah. so, like, she does that, and, like, it's just the most adorable thing in the world. Yeah. And uh, and then so when she started doing it to Bree, because that happened when Bree was gone, and then when, when Bree came back and, she started doing it free like when i was on the road she's like oh my gosh she's doing it to me look here's the video 
I was like, great, that's great that Marie took the video. And then I felt started feeling a little bit guilty, like, wait a second. Am I a bad husband because I didn't take a video and I just like, enjoyed it selfishly for myself? <laughs> Back to Daniel Bryan momentarily, but I feel like in this wrestling world that we all live in, we keep hearing about sellouts. SummerSlam is sold out and All In is sold out and Ring of Honor in New Japan sold out Madison Square Garden and WrestleMania is going to sell out and NXT TakeOver is sold out. How do we get into these shows? We want to see them. What's happening? Well, I've got the perfect solution for you. Seat Geek. It's so easy, it's the only way to do it. Look, football's back. Seat Geek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Seat Geek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to any wrestling show, to get tickets to any comedy show, to get tickets to Broadway, to get tickets to baseball, basketball, whatever you need tickets for. Seat Geek is the way to go. Because by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. You want to spend an arm and a leg? Spend an arm and a leg. But spend an arm and a leg intelligently. And the way to do that is through SeatGeek. Let's say you only want to spend a couple bucks. Only spend a couple bucks. But spend those couple bucks with a brain in your head. How do you do it? SeatGeek, it's the only way I do it. You go on my phone right now. There's one app, one ticket-getting app at all, and that's SeatGeek. I don't sit there worrying about, oh, it goes on sale at 9 o'clock. I got to make sure I have a job. I'm busy, okay? I can't sit there and be at the mercy and whim of all these ticket sellers trying to tell me when they're on sale is. Whatever I need to go to, whenever I need to go to, SeatGeek is the place to go. All you got to do is download the SeatGeek app on your phone. Best of all, remember I told you that you were going to get the best value tickets because that's how SeatGeek grades all their tickets? Well, you're going to find the best value, and then you're going to get another $20 off. How are you going to do that? Through me, of course. My listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's right. For listening to this podcast, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download that SeatGeek app and enter promo code SAM today. That's promo code SAM, S-A-M, and you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. They've got the tickets, and we've got more with Daniel Bryan. Well, before we slip into full-on... dad talk as as we could easily do yeah um we haven't yeah. talked about uh we, we need to get back to wrestling and we need to get back to video games because you're here to make some kind of big 2k19 announcement correct i mean if, am i doing the announcement right now i don't know what the i don't know what the announcement is they didn't oh, tell okay, me yeah yeah so, okay so the announcement is is that they're bringing back the uh, 2K showcase mode, which uh-huh. had been gone for a couple of years. And so, and the showcase mode is the story mode for me. And it's the story mode throughout my, for my career. So you get to play. Wow. So for example, you get to go through the story of my entire uh, WWE career, which starts uh, oddly enough in 2003, where I wrestled as Brian Danielson against John Cena. So like, that's how far back that they go. And then you go through these like 12 matches, 12 significant points in my career, including like the NXT stuff where I got brought in after being uh, on the independence for 10 years and then get brought into NXT as Mrs. Rookie, you know, like that sort of thing. They go through the whole thing of me getting fired 
and then rehired, and then, you know, all the way up to, like, WrestleMania 30, me announcing my retirement, and then the ending part is then uh, my return match at WrestleMania 34. Uh, I just think it's it's a really cool little, like, it's a really cool story. I think it's really fun, but it's awesome for me to be to be the showcase person and, like, it end on such a positive note. Yeah. Because as much as, like, people think of, like, WrestleMania 30 as, like, this career highlight for me, uh, it was from a career perspective, that's probably the highlight. But from a personal perspective, from my career, WrestleMania 34 was something I'm actually more proud of, you know, because that's something I really had to fight for for several years. And showcasing that entire thing on the game, I think, brings that whole story to a new generation of fans. So Yeah, and it's amazing. And I think people forget uh, how much history you have with WWE sometimes. Like uh, at, at Access this year, Mattel was showing off the new action figures, and they showed this uh, Daniel Bryan figure from you when you first showed up on the NXT reality show, but you were wearing an American dragon robe. And I'm like, Bill, I was uh-huh. saying Bill from Mattel. And I was like, you can't, how, how could you have that? And he goes, Nope. He wore the American dragon robe. The first time he was on NXT, we can do it. And I'm like, wow. Right. I, I had no idea that <laughs> he snuck it in. Um, but that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's super cool. And I also think, so one of the things that, uh, so you get to play as Brian Danielson, which is also wow. Like, that blows that blows my mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they have different iterations of me and my gear. Because you know, if people have followed me from the independents, I've had a lot of different looks over the years. <laughs> <laughs> and so they have different, you know, all the different looks that I've had and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think that's cool. But I was also uh, talking about how AJ Styles is on the cover of the video game yeah. and how cool yeah. that is for the two of us because it's like you could go on YouTube and if you YouTube AJ Styles versus Brian Danielson, uh, there's this match, I think from it's maybe from like 2005 or something like that, where he and I are wrestling a match for Ian Rotten in the Midwest somewhere. <laughs> and it's in front of like 70 people and we wrestle 25 minutes or whatever it is. Right. And, uh, and to go from that where you're wrestling in front of 70 people to here we are, in uh, the video game, the biggest video, uh, the biggest wrestling video game in the world, and he's on the cover, and then I'm in the showcase mode. I think that's really, it's really neat and it's really fitting. You know, I think that shows how much wrestling has changed and how much AJ and I have both evolved. You know, as as humans. So I would imagine, based on how happy you say you are, uh, and the fact that this game comes out in October. That, you know, everywhere you go on the internet, you know, when they talk about you, they talk about the fact that your deal's up September 1st and they don't know if he's going to re-sign and blah, blah, blah. It would seem highly likely that you're re-signing with WWE. Uh, yeah, I, I, I declined to comment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, that it would be, I, I think at this point it's like 90 90 plus percent you know how i like to give i do yeah you like your numbers i love math i'm a big math (laughs) you know i I would say i would say there's a very it's it's likely i will sign with wwe so Uh, i'm not trying to i'm not trying to ruin your negotiating either so you don't need to make any uh (laughs) right yeah 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 don't ruin my negotiation i mean and the reality is is that like uh you know it's just that's the that's the probability not you know i have not signed I have not re-signed yet, but I mean, it's likely, I mean, it could happen as, as 
as soon as the end of this week. It might be a couple more weeks or whatever it is. But yeah, it's 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 very likely. So, so the Miz storyline with you is one of the most kind of compelling long-term well-told stories of a match when you look at the macro of it right when you look at it and you I mean you talk about the video game you know the Miz kind of starts really early in this WWE run and kind of runs here and there throughout uh, in terms of the story of what this match is and could be and everything do you think that SummerSlam is the right time to finally you know you're back as soon as you come back People start listing matches. They want to see Daniel Bryan in. The Miz is, of course, that. And I think, you know, the infamous Talking Smack episode is what really lit the fire on that. Um, Do you think SummerSlam is the venue for it? Is it something you would have rather seen stretched out and done at WrestleMania? Or is that not really something you think about? So so that's beyond my control. So I don't really... try not to think about it too much you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so i uh i think that SummerSlam is like to say <laughs> i've had people say to me like oh it needs to be saved for wrestlemania okay i could see where you would want it at wrestlemania but SummerSlam is also a really big event <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's really it's tough so to like, complain about it, they're wasting this yeah, at yeah, a summer slam yeah <laughs> 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 and so it's like uh, it's one it's one of those things where people have said that to me, and and I've I've just like I think some pe- sometimes people underappreciate like hey SummerSlam is I mean people don't under when you say like okay what are the biggest events that WWE runs throughout the year the three biggest ones by far are SummerSlam Royal Rumble and WrestleMania those are the three that people have the most interest in like you know from uh, so. So us doing it at SummerSlam in no way, shape, or form is like, uh, do I think like, oh, it should have been done this or whatever, you know, like they, but it's also beyond my control. You know what I mean? I, uh, I, I, I am just thrilled to finally be able to punch Miz in the face. That's all I want to face. Well, you know, I think that a lot of fans would like to vicariously live through you doing just that. So I think that it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's an ideal scenario for you. Um, you know, when you talk about your WrestleManias, you talk about, you know, as far as poetic WrestleManias, there's not too many people that have more moments than you from, you know, the WrestleMania 30, that was the moment. Even WrestleMania 31, like, I think that that's one that people kind of sleep on sometimes, but you winning the Intercontinental title, I think because there wasn't as much buildup and because it was cut so short, people kind of forget, but it was still a pretty cool moment in that moment. But we'll say WrestleMania 30, and then we'll go back to New Orleans and say WrestleMania 34 as another kind of poetic moment. Is there an ideal, even though it's out of your control, let's say it wasn't out of your control, is there an ideal opponent or situation that you would like to see in this kind of build towards WrestleMania that will be the one-year mark in your return this year? Uh, Gosh, no. I mean, I haven't even really thought about it and from that perspective. I mean, it... So I think the one one of the things that's always uh, weird around me is my experience with Royal Rumbles. Right? Yes, of course. And like and and just my experience, and then what happens because of my experience in Royal Rumbles is just an interesting topic to me, and some people bring it up to me all the time. And so, uh, so I think that's one of the things that I haven't accomplished is like winning a Royal Rumble, mm-hmm. and then um, so so that would be something that would be. Uh, an interesting thing is is winning the Royal Rumble and then going on to to 
be in a championship match at WrestleMania. But the rea- there's a reality that there's a lot of things that happen in WWE and things change and what fans want changes. And it's not all, it's not all about me. Right. That's yeah. one of the things that, that, you know, everybody, you know, everybody, re- it sounds stupid when you say it, of course, it's not all about you. But then like when people are talking about their careers, they're like, I want it to be like this or I want it to be like that. And the reality is it's never going to be all about me. Right. And right. so uh, my thing is I don't think about that kind of stuff and enjoy the things that I do get to do. Right. Like as far as the like I love I love wrestling. So going out there and being able to just enjoy these matches that I'm having now and really being able to savor wrestling while I can do it, because one of the things that uh, being forced to retire gave me is a sense of perspective that it can end at any time and I don't worry about that but I just like it really it really makes me savor every moment so and you know and to be fair some of the best things in your career have happened from not winning the Royal Rumble so I don't know if you'd want to upset that trend um (laughs) well and 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 just just this idea of like uh like me pushing for things yeah like the only thing, the only thing that's happened good when I've pushed for something is me getting cleared to wrestle. Like WrestleMania 30 didn't happen because I pushed for something. It happened because fans pushed for something, right? right? And so like, I've always had, uh, for better or worse, I've always had this very happy-go-lucky towards how I'm booked, right? <laughs> I just like, I just like, ah, yeah, whatever you want. I just go out there and do the best that I can, and yada yada yada. And so like, at some point, I think I probably need to change that. Uh, and I'm sure I don't at some know. Point it seems fans to... would probably get a get a little bit frustrated with me and be like, "Hey, shouldn't you like want more?" But then that <laughs> goes, to, you know, like you know, my lack of ambition or something or another. So, uh, last question before I let you go, because you know you're busy. Um, do you have any idea what the plan was for you and Shane McMahon had you not been cleared? I mean, it is so wild. That it was something like the, the, you and Shane and the and the friction and the whatever, none of it makes any sense if you don't get cleared. And the fact is that you get cleared 20 hours before you actually come back, which means that entire run was leading to nothing if you don't get cleared. is the, Was there anything that you know of that was like a, a safety so, net on that? <laughs> so you say that. It doesn't make a lot – if you were to go back and watch it from week to week, mm-hmm. it doesn't make a lot of sense – with me being cleared either. <laughs> so, like, some of the, some of the things that happened, and I think that um, I think it was really just because from the from a writer's perspective, right? They don't like as far as they were told. Like, there's there's not much chance of me being cleared. I didn't think there was much chance of me being cleared. So I think that they did have a game plan. But then in the, like, maybe a, a, a two weeks before I actually got cleared, I had gotten, like, I had gotten cleared by some even more people. And it was becoming harder and harder to be like, hey, we can't clear this guy when all the best people have cleared him. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's like, uh, so, that, so then it becomes kind of this momentum of, uh, of stuff. And so I think that's, like, I, I know that they had a plan. And I think the original, I think the main plan was not for me not to be cleared. What that plan was, I don't exactly know. I was hoping that if it wasn't going to be cleared, it was going to involve me being involved, where if 
Shane loses that I lose the GM spot because I really didn't want to do it anymore. So that's kind of what I was hoping. For. That's what I, that's what. I, that's what I was pitching for, realistically. So, yeah, fingers so crossed, that's, loser that's leaves town I and I lose. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so well, that, that's kind of that's what I was hoping for. But I didn't, you know, I I'm not in on those meetings or anything. So I don't know what it was. That's amazing. Well, you know, you're one of my favorite people to talk to, and I'm uh, I'm super super excited about uh, uh, going through your career path in 2K19. I think it's 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 pretty perfect to be told over a video game. So I, I can't wait until it comes out. I play them every year, but this is this is actually a story mode that I feel like I'll be fully invested in because I think me, along with a lot of fans, have been fully invested in the real-life uh, story of, of Daniel Bryan and Bryan Danielson. Um, and so I think it's a great choice. Thanks a lot for uh, making the time, man. I appreciate you doing the show again. Yep, thanks very much, Sam. I'll talk to you later. For sure. Here is Sam Roberts. So we'll get into that interview and dissect it a little bit in a moment. But I was talking at the beginning of the show about how the intro was going to change and how Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast becomes not Sam Wrestling as of next week. You'll see. I'm, I'm maintaining some of the, the great production that you've become used to and just kind of uh, uh, spicing it up a little bit. You'll have elements for the OG fans mixed in with some brand new stuff. I think you're really, really going to love it. A lot of people have been asking uh, what the deal is with the Captive Audience Show. I almost forgot the name for a second. With the Captive Audience Show that used to be on Stitcher Premium. Uh, we're not going to be doing stuff on Stitcher Premium anymore. I love doing stuff with them, but it's important to the show that we remain independent. And I find it easier to create content that I think that you'll like with the delivery method that you'll like in the timeliness that you'll like completely independently. The podcast has been independent since the jump uh, 199 weeks ago, fully independent, no network, no company, no nothing. It's me, a mic. When I'm done, I edit it, I upload it, I tweet about it. It's a complete, it, it, no other wrestling podcast out there on this level is as independent as this show is. And I wanted to keep that going with any additional content that I create for you guys because I think that's how we're all going to be able to relate to it the most. So is Captive Audience going away forever? Will there be more additional content? Yes, there will be more additional content. My idea for Not Sam Wrestling is not just to do a podcast, but to really start to build content out and to create a world around Not Sam Wrestling, to create a fan community. I mean, this to me, this podcast is all about experiencing wrestling as a fan. To me, it's it's the number one fan wrestling fan experience in podcasting. So I want to be able to expand that with Not Sam Wrestling, and we are going to be doing that uh, as the weeks go by. But uh, yes, so Stitcher Premium, love them, love all the people over there, but for now... We're not going to be putting up new content over there. So, you know, keep that in mind. Do whatever you need to do. And I will let you know uh, very, very soon where more stuff from Not Sam Wrestling is going to be coming. If you want it, you got to let me know. The other thing I want you guys to let me know is I'm thinking about changing things up a little bit. I'm thinking about maybe adding some more voices to the state of wrestling. Last week we had Dave LaGreca on State of Wrestling. Um, you know, Skylar Aston. Uh, has been a regular part of this podcast. This was the first wrestling podcast that he did. Uh, uh, Open Mike Eagle, I've had on uh, State of Wrestling before. Kaz, 
who's now a WWE writer, was on State of Wrestling. If you want Katie Linendahl, of course. I mean, Katie Linendahl, the first, probably the, the second, a couple years. We had a good two-year run where almost every week we had Katie Linendahl on State of Wrestling with us. It was just, I mean, fabulous. Fabulous on the show. Um, so her schedule got super busy. A lot of people ask about that. What happened to Linendahl? Still love her. Still talk to her. Her schedule, I, she just, she's, her travel schedule is insane. Like we talk about wrestlers' travel schedules. I couldn't begin to explain to you the type of travel that this Linendahl does and the amount of projects that she's working on at all times. But I say, but you know, I say all that to say, number one, I'm going to get her back on the show. She's welcome back anytime. But number two, <coughs> I'm thinking about mixing it up. Maybe adding a second voice on State of Wrestling. Not one, not permanently, but maybe every other week or so, adding a guest co-host just to get a fresh perspective, maybe somebody to argue some of my cockamamie ideas, whatever you think. But let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at NotSam. You can uh, follow us on Instagram at NotSamWrestling and leave comments and whatnot uh, or email NotSamWrestling at gmail.com. And uh, let me know what you think about whether a second voices, rotating second voices should be added to the State of Wrestling segment and who you think those might be. Who, 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 who you think maybe those should be. Um, very much appreciate 2K Games setting up our interview with Daniel Bryan and having Daniel Bryan on. First of all, you know, you can call me a shill all you want, but I have every WWE game that's come out I mean, since even before 2K was doing it, since the, the, I have every Raw versus SmackDown game. I had uh, Raw is War for Sega Genesis. I love WWE video games. I'm not the biggest gamer in the world. I play PUBG. I play Grand Theft Auto. Other than that, I pretty much just play WWE games. Don't play Fortnite. Play PUBG. But I play WWE video games as well. And I love the story modes, man. I love uh, I loved when, when they did the Attitude Era story. And when they did, where they just pick key moments from the Attitude Era, the WrestleMania stories that they've done in the WWE video games. And I am so excited to play through Daniel Bryan's career in this 2K game. I think his career is like perfect to have it go through. And just, you know, hearing that, you know, you get to go through his firing. You get to play uh, as Bryan Danielson against John Cena in, at, during a Velocity match. You know, his very first time in a WWE ring where really... It wasn't a dark match, but he was like enhancement talent. It was kind of a tri televised tryout match uh, to go through the nexus, to go through the firing and the rehiring, and to end at WrestleMania this year. I just I think it's a super cool mode. Uh, I think his story is the right story. If you're going to pick somebody's story to tell, that's certainly the most compelling story. And I do think that it means that he'll be here past September. The game doesn't come out till October. It'd be really silly if he didn't re-sign with WWE. And this 2K game comes out and, and he's not in WWE anymore. So that's more good news uh, that that's all going to happen. So thanks to Brian uh, for doing the podcast again. And of course, you know, hearing him say that he's pretty sure he's going to be back, I thought was noteworthy. The whole story about how quickly he found out he was coming back, like I, I think he might have taken for granted what an accomplishment it was that he has been able to work at the level he's been working at without training for any specific comeback without realizing that this was right around the corner. I mean, the fact that the first time back in the ring, he was able to get air on those drop kicks the way he was and run back and forth and back and forth. I just, I, I, he must have just maintained conditioning. He must just have a crazy conditioning routine 
that he maintained throughout. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it is such a major, major accomplishment, and I kind of can't believe. I mean, I guess I can believe that he still hasn't been able to process this thing because there's no way. I, as I told you before the interview, I've barely been able to process it, so I can't imagine what's going on in his head. But I'm excited to see what happens at SummerSlam. We'll talk about it in the state of wrestling. Before we get to the state of wrestling, I just wanted to say, you know, I, I hate doing uh, rest in peace tributes on this show because it means we've lost another superstar. But it happens in life, and Jim the Anvil Nightheart passed away, which was, I think, a surprise to a lot of us fans. Not too many of us knew that uh, there was anything going on with the Anvil. Uh, but the Anvil was 63. Of course, we know him best as uh, a member of the original Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Nightheart, they kind of, uh, they were different. In that, in that world, it was probably WWE's prime when it came to tag team wrestling. That, that late 80s era was probably as good as tag team wrestling ever has been in WWE. When you have the Hart Foundation, Demolition, the Rougeaus, uh, the Brainbusters, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. Of course, the Rockers, the Bushwhackers. Legion of Doom would come in, but that really wasn't until 1990. But when you when you go down that list, not only do you have these amazing, memorable characters, and the characters are people like the Bushwhackers and the Rockers and Demolition, but amazing tag team wrestling and tag team specialists, which is probably as rare now as it ever has been. The Hart Foundation was a team that walked that line. The Hart Foundation was a team that you remembered both as those guys in pink and black, and especially Jim the Anvil with his big goatee, Bret Hart with the sunglasses. Bret had the heart on the back of his tights. The Jim the Anvil Nightheart had a little anvil on the back of his tights. But they were the one team that I think, especially as far and Strike Force, Strike Force Killer Bees, they were all part of this era. But um, the Hart Foundation to me was the one team that combined this sort of great tag team wrestling with super memorable characters that as a little kid, you can latch onto. Somehow the Hart Foundation managed to combine technical wrestling and larger-than-life, cartoony, real-life characters the way the Bushwhackers and the Rockers. I mean, that's what made them so popular amongst kids, and the Hart Foundation was right there. But the Hart Foundation were like technical masters. You know, there's a reason why Bret Hart became so popular as a singles athlete. Number one was because he was great, but when he was first, I mean, you look at SummerSlam 91 and beyond for Bret the Hitman Hart. That foundation was laid in the Hart Foundation with Jim the Anvil. And you go back to, I believe it's SummerSlam 90, the Hart Foundation versus Demolition, two out of three falls. Incredible match. Probably if you're going to watch one match with Jim the Anvil Nightheart in it to kind of, you know, sometimes I do that, you know, when a wrestler passes away. The same way when a, when a musician passes away, you start to go through their old music. If you're going to watch one Jim the Anvil Nightheart involved match, I would definitely say go with that SummerSlam 90 Heart Foundation versus Demolition match. Just awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. But to go from there, Bret Hart becomes a single star and still, you know, not not Heart Foundation level, but we all remember the new foundation, Jim the Anvil Nightheart wearing the hammer pants, Jim the Anvil Nightheart and Owen Hart, the new foundation and Owen's sort of introduction without a blue mask on to the WWE universe. Jim the Anvil, of course, goes away for a while, comes back in 94 as a singles, back 
in Owen Hart's corner, but if you remember, he showed up at the King of the Ring. We thought he was against Owen. He ended up siding with Owen, helps Owen win the crown. And that whole run, King of the Ring and beyond, you go to, back to SummerSlam 94, the cage match between Bret Hart and Owen Hart, Jim the Anvil is the one on the side of Owen. And Jim the Anvil had this way of just sitting there with that smile on his face, laughing, stroking the goatee. He made, whether and, and, and it's very unique, like he made Owen into more of a bad guy by being next to him, and he made Bret into more of a good guy being next to him because he was either that hated or beloved. It just really, really worked. Uh, of course, the Anvil would go away again. He'd come back as part of what I think was the whole Hart family, really all of them, their best run in WWE in 97 when the new version of the Hart Foundation showed up, when it's Bret Hart, Owen Hart, Bulldog, Jim the Anvil, and Brian Pillman. And it really is tragic. You know, somebody made a a photo of, it was all five of them in the ring together, and they made everybody who's passed away black and white, and you realize... That amazing faction, I mean, that, that you can't, I can't tell you. I think when you talk about the Attitude Era and you talk about how hot WWE got, I don't think Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation get nearly enough credit. You know, I mean, they were from, whenever it was, you know, I would say that year that Bret had coming back from Survivor Series 96 to take on Austin into Survivor Series 97, where we know what happened um, with the Montreal Screwjob, that year for Brett was incredible. You know, to go from basically WrestleMania 13-ish to Survivor Series, just unbelievable. Unbelievable, and an unbelievable time to be a fan of wrestling, and a lot of that was because of the Hart Foundation, full credit due, to Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Not that he gets full credit for the Hart Foundation, but I want to make sure that Jim the Anvil Nightheart gets the full credit that he is due uh, for that faction. Not only for the team, but for the faction. Of course, SummerSlam 97, Jim was supposed to shave his goatee. never did. I like that about Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Now, no explanation. He said if any member of the Hart Foundation loses at SummerSlam 97, he will shave his goatee. By the way, this is all coming off the top of my head. Owen, of course, lost to Steve Austin. You know, no no shaving. No shaving of the goatee. But good for Jim the Anvil. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. I know I said I was going to do it. I'm not going to do it. That's my thing. That's my goatee. Um, so, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's pretty sad. Certainly an icon. I mean, everybody remembers Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Everybody remembers him. And, of course, uh, responsible for his, his, his offspring. The second generation of Jim the Anvil Nightheart. One of the people who really doesn't get a ton of credit for it, but who absolutely ushered in the generation of women's wrestling that we're enjoying right now. And that's Natalia, the daughter of Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Um, first of all, of course, thoughts and prayers go out to her and her family as they deal with this loss. But really, Natalia is one of the great parts of the legacy of the Anvil. That the Anvil is gone, but the contributions that Natalia has made and continues to make in her field are amazing. And I think that 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 is something that the Neidhart family can, uh, can, you know, rest their laurels on, I guess. I don't know what the phrase is, but be proud of. 
something that they can be proud of. So rest in peace to Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Uh, awesome, awesome competitor. I met him, you know, I took a couple photos. I met him at like signings and stuff. I never knew him on any kind of personal level whatsoever. But uh, I'm glad I got to take a photo with him. I'm glad I got to meet the legend. All right, let's get into it, folks. Thank you for being a part of this week's show. It's time to start the State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. And welcome to the State of Wrestling here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, where we are going down the top five stories of the week in the world of sports entertainment, according to yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts, and a ton to get into. It's SummerSlam week, so, you know, obviously, SummerSlam and TakeOver are going to dominate this section of the podcast, but let's get in to story number five, which has kind of gone under the radar. WWE's got so many giant shows coming up. You know, I think... uh, September, they've got, I, I believe there's a pay-per-view in September. I'm sure there's a pay-per-view in September. I just don't know what it is. Uh, but October is when it's going to get crazy. I mean, you've got the Australia pay-per-view. You've got Evolution, the all-women's pay-per-view. You've also got Slipping Under the Radar. This October, they've just kind of announced it for the ticket on sales. SmackDown. 1,000, the 1,000th episode of SmackDown, and if you believe anything that the internet tells you, and you should believe everything that the internet tells you, uh, this is going to be one of those super shows that gets treated like a big deal, the same way they did for uh, Raw, well, Raw 1,000, but probably more recently Raw 25. WWE has a tendency of growing, you know what I mean, allowing shows to set the new precedent and then growing from there, meaning I don't think that WWE is going to be looking at Raw 1000 as the model for SmackDown 1000. I think they're going to be looking at Raw 25, which was the biggest Raw they've ever done, at least in the planning stages of it. And that's the model they're going to be looking at to celebrate SmackDown 1000. Only one announcement has been made, and that is, and and if you listen to this announcement, I think it's happening in Washington, D.C., by the way, SmackDown 1000, and... I mean, if you believe this announcement, and you should, WWE already made it, it leads you to believe what a big show this is going to be. It's The Undertaker's return. The Undertaker will be at SmackDown 1000. So a lot of people, and that is story number five. SmackDown 1000 is coming this October, and The Undertaker is going to be there. So that's leading a lot of people to wonder what's going to happen. Now, the returns for The Undertaker, um, because of international shows... I feel like are not quite as mysterious, meaning, okay, we saw The Undertaker at WrestleMania, very odd thing when he just crushed John Cena in, in a minute and a half. You know, and that, and that sort of question as to why did that happen that way, that hasn't really been answered. But we saw him beat Rusev in a casket match at the Greatest Royal Rumble. He's scheduled to face Triple H for the very last time at the Australia pay-per-view. That's the one announcement they've made about the Australia pay-per-view. And so what does that leave for SmackDown 1000? Well, I brought up Raw 25 because, again, I think that that's the measuring stick and the model that they're going to be comparing SmackDown 1000 to, fair or unfairly. Uh, And I believe that The Undertaker's position on that show will be similar to Raw 25, meaning I don't think that The Undertaker will have a match. That's my prediction. You know, all I know is what you guys know. But if I had to guess, I would say that The Undertaker's appearance at Raw at SmackDown 1000 will be just that. 
Uh, I think it's crucial. The Undertaker is one of these guys, and it's because I guess his legacy in WWE is what it is, that his presence is crucial both at Raw 25 and SmackDown 1000. I mean, Undertaker wrestled on the first episode of Raw. Raw throughout history, throughout the 25 years of Raw being on the air, it is littered with important Undertaker moments. However, at the same token, when the brand split happened, when the rosters got drafted, there was a large period of time where SmackDown was really placed on the shoulders of The Undertaker. The Undertaker became the, the, the driving figure to get eyes and interest in, eyes on and interest in SmackDown. Undertaker was SmackDown through and through. Uh, he stayed on the brand for a long time. And I think that uh, when we're celebrating SmackDown, you have to celebrate those years, even more so than Raw. I think SmackDown gets identified by the brand split. Raw, probably because it was around for so much longer. But even though SmackDown existed for a long time before the brand split, I think SmackDown, way more than Raw, is associated with that brand split. And if you're going to celebrate that version of SmackDown, I mean, you know, I think I think you need Edge there. I think you need Kurt Angle there. I think you need all those guys. Of course, not everybody in that original SmackDown lineup is going to be able to be there because some are passed away. But I think that those people whose careers were made by the brand split, and that includes Edge, and that include well, Kurt Angle's career wasn't made, but that that version of Kurt Angle became what it was because of SmackDown. You know, I think Brock Lesnar has to be more so than Raw 25. Brock Lesnar has to be at SmackDown 1000, and I'll bet he will be. You know, I think what happens at Smack uh, at SummerSlam might leave us with a better prediction as to what exactly. Brock Lesnar's role might be at SmackDown 1000, but you know I think in the coming weeks we'll get a better picture of what SmackDown 1000 looks like. While we're talking about history-making moments, important moments on these shows, we move to story number four. And that is a story that if I'd had more time this week, there were a couple of announcements. Story number three and story number four probably would have gotten their own bonus states of wrestling shows. Uh, if I had had a little more time, and hint, hint, if there was um, a vehicle to power bonus shows a little bit better, if there was a content house for what this podcast is going to deliver, hint, hint. Uh, but uh, story number four is Raw this week being co-voiced, co-anchored, however you want to say it, a lady being in the commentary booth for Monday Night Raw, and that lady is none other than Renee Young. Of course, earlier this year, Renee had a great uh, interview on this here podcast that you can get on the YouTube channel. But Renee Young, in a move that uh, surprised a lot of people, just in the sense that we didn't see it coming, filled in for Jonathan Coachman on Raw. Now, look, people loved Renee. I hope that this isn't a Wally Pip scenario only because Coach seems like a good guy. And in my interactions with Coach, he has been a good guy. But I do have to say this. It's a big deal that Renee was there. I think that clearly they're taking uh, this uh, women's revolution seriously in the sense that it's, it's shaping the entire product. I think it is time that a woman be behind the commentary table. And I think that it has to be the right person. And to me, Renee is the right person. Um, she 
has a deep knowledge and appreciation for the product. And I think in everything we see Renee, the one thing we don't question when we see Renee on television is whether or not she's committed to the product, right? You never watch going like, I wonder if Renee really even watches. Was Renee a wrestling fan before this? Renee comes across like somebody who is interested in the product. And that goes such a long way. You know, Michael Cole, his ability to remain enthusiastic about a product that he's been doing play-by-play for for decades is unlike anything else I've seen in broadcasting. It doesn't get nearly enough credit, and I think you really have to be behind a broadcast table to fully understand the skill set that Michael Cole actually possesses. But when you listen to Michael Cole, at no point do you doubt that he watches the show, that he appreciates the product, that he gets lost in the stories. Like Michael Cole seems like a guy who likes WWE. Corey Graves seems like a guy who's invested and likes WWE. You know, and that's that's one of the key things that made that commentary booth so special. Nobody was above the product. It was just three people, two of which are, uh, I would say, not only young, but atypical for what that booth usually has, and that's Corey Graves and Renee Young. Not that Michael Cole isn't young, but Michael Cole is a traditional announcer. Corey Graves and Renee Young are both non-traditional and bring a different layer to that table. Now, you know, the commentary section of WWE, and this is something that I've really learned a lot in being around the announcers of WWE. The commentary for WWE is taken extremely seriously in that it is viewed as the voice to the audience. The commentators are there as the final salesman to sell to the audience what's in the ring, right? And to explain not what's going on, but why we should care about what's going on. It is vital to the WWE. And it is a very, very difficult thing to do. Anybody that's been successful at that commentator's table is a very skilled person. You also have to understand, okay, it's a three-hour live TV show. There is no other gig like this. It is a live TV show, and it is not sports in the sense that you're calling moves, okay? You are telling stories. You are responsible for telling the stories to the audience that they are seeing in the ring. That is a a mighty task. Not only are you being looked at by millions of people at home on this live show, which means any screw-up they're going to hear, but you also know that all the higher-ups, and this is not the case in a lot of companies, SiriusXM, for example. When I do my SiriusXM show, I don't have added pressure of thinking that the people who run SiriusXM are listening to my show. They're not. There's a hundred shows on Sirius. Maybe they're listening to Howard Stern. Maybe they turn on my show for a minute. Maybe they're listening to Bruce Springsteen. Maybe they're listening to Top 40. Whatever. There's a hundred things to monitor. Who knows what they're listening to at any given moment. When you work at WWE, you know that the higher-ups are watching what you're doing. They're watching your every move. Imagine being at work and knowing that your boss was watching everything that you did. You don't think you'd behave a little bit differently? Now imagine taking that energy of knowing that your boss is watching everything that you do and having to perform on television. Very difficult thing to do. I think that Renee is uh, a natural. I think she did an incredible job. She did this a great job of not sounding like a fish out of water. She sounded like she completely fit in that commentary booth, but still was refreshing and still was different and still was new. It felt new 
without feeling changed, if that makes sense. And that's a tough thing to do. And Renee pulled it off. That is where I think she was strongest. Um, it was really, really cool to see. Of course, she did an interview afterwards saying that Mr. McMahon was only in her ear for one thing, just a moment to tell her to slow down. We'll get more into it. I mean, this is just good timing because she's going to be with us. You know, if you're listening to this on Thursday with the day it comes out, Tonight at Caroline's, she'll be with us for the 200th episode. So we'll talk to her about it there. And assuming that everything goes well, we'll air it back for you uh, next week uh, on the show here, or at least parts of it, whatever we decide to do. But um, I, it's, it's a huge moment and definitely a huge moment forward. And it's all kind of, you know, when WWE does something, they do something. It just snowballs and becomes something huge before you even know it. I can't imagine the pressure that Renee Young was under. I can't imagine the pressure of going from learning how to be a commentator, because as I said, it's a it's an entirely different skill set. Renee is better than anybody who has anchored the kickoff show table for WWE ever. Renee is perfect at hosting those post shows the way she, what she did with Talking Smack and the way she's done with me and Peter Rosenberg and, uh, you know, whoever else has done the shows with her. Perfect at those shows. Commentary is an entirely different skill set. She had to learn that skill set so that she could do the Mae Young Classic, which the first part of it was taped this or, or last week. Then take that skill set and now you're going to be on Raw. Clearly, I think Renee Young is going to have a place at Evolution the all-women's pay-per-view. Again, just a theory. I haven't talked to her at all about it. You know, I decided not to talk to her about any of it until we do it publicly at the 200th show at Caroline's on Broadway. Um, but in my opinion, you know, they've already said that the finals of the Mae Young Classic will take place at Evolution. At first, I thought, oh, well, maybe they'll let Renee do commentary for that match. Now, I believe Renee Young will do the entire Evolution pay-per-view. That's my theory. You know, and people were talking about making her a permanent part on Raw. Um, this is a this was a week, I believe, that would have normally gone to, you know, there have been a few weeks that uh, Coach has not been able to work, and so Booker T takes over for him. This was one of those weeks that somebody like a Booker T would have stepped in, and they decided to place Renee in. Um, so I believe Coach will be back next week, and I, I think it'll be business as usual. You know, I don't think it'll be, um, I don't think there's anything to, anything to it. You know, Coach is a professional. But I do think that this will certainly open Renee up more to um, more commentary positions in WWE. Maybe this means that Corey Graves doesn't end up on both shows. Maybe Renee takes Corey Graves' spot on SmackDown and Corey Graves stays on Raw or vice versa. You know, maybe Byron Saxton gets moved somewhere and Renee goes to SmackDown. Maybe uh, uh, Graves gets moved to SmackDown exclusively and it's Coach Cole and, and Renee. Who knows how it could work out? I don't think anything will happen immediately, but I think it'll happen. I think I think Renee Young will find herself a spot pretty permanently at that broadcast table, and she should. You know, it's one of those things where you watch Renee do interviews on SmackDown and Raw backstage, and you almost feel like she's graduated from it. You know, not to take anything away. Trust me, I would love that gig. But I think it was after after seeing her on Talking Smack every week. People started to develop a taste for Renee in long form. They wanted to hear her take on things. You know, I think that's maybe not even long form. I think maybe that's what it was. That after Talking Smack was such a success with fans, 
we all wanted, we were interested in Renee's opinion and her take on things. Uh, and that's not something that gets, that comes across when you're doing the interviews backstage, because that's not what those interviews were designed to do. So I think that's why there's such a positive response to her on commentary. And I think there'll be continue to be a positive response to her on commentary. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I think it's super, super great. Um, speaking of uh, great, let's move on to story number three. Um, and this was one that would probably have been a bonus show. Uh, but I tweeted about it earlier. Uh, or Yeah, I think either earlier this week. Yeah, earlier this week. Uh, Ring of Honor and New Japan combined forces to sell out Madison Square Garden. Big, big announcement. Ring of Honor and New Japan sold out Madison Square Garden for next year's WrestleMania weekend. That is huge. Of course, they'll be running opposite, presumably, what will be the next NXT, or, or you know, WrestleMania's NXT TakeOver show at the Barclays. Not the easiest thing in the world to do. You know, I, I as good as TakeOvers have been, I don't think you can at even sort of say that you know that the Ring of Honor show is going to be better. You know, I, I think TakeOvers just keep getting better and better and better. So I... I I don't think there is anything in wrestling that is consistently building the way the TakeOver specials are. Every time a TakeOver special comes on, you don't think it could possibly get better, and then it gets better. It's, it's remarkable. I've never seen anything like it before. And the TV is great, by the way, NXT TV, but we're not talking about NXT TV right now. We're talking about Ring of Honor, and I tweeted out uh, that it was cool that Ring of Honor sold out Madison Square Garden, and, and hallelujah, it's great to be a wrestling fan. Now, that hallelujah was not a hallelujah of relief. It was just a hallelujah of an exclamation. Some people corrected me and said, it wasn't just Ring of Honor, it was Ring of Honor in New Japan. Yeah, I guess I was, I was you know, speaking in, in, in shorthand because clearly, and then there were others that said, I wish it would have just been Ring of Honor not, or, or just been New Japan. And then there were other, a bunch of people said a bunch of things. Here's my full thoughts on the matter. I think it's good for wrestling fans that Madison Square Garden and the Barclays Center, presumably, are going to be sold out at the same time that weekend for two awesome shows. I think it's good for wrestling fans that there's a healthy appetite for wrestling outside of WWE. But as I've said from the beginning, the only way you're going to consistently sell out arenas next to WWE is by doing super shows like this. Ring of Honor is not selling out arenas. It's not happening. If you combine with New Japan, if you get Cody's and the Young Bucks to come together, well, then you've got, you've got a different story. You've got All In. You've got this Madison Square Garden show. Um, but if you want to talk about consistency, you know, time, place, who, what, where, when, why, it all matters. So I don't think, and I don't think New Japan by it. Well, New Japan might. I don't know. I still think that if it, I, I, if, 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 if it were my control, I would figure out how New Japan buys out Ring of Honor and just make Ring of Honor New Japan America. You know, because at this point, uh, I think that's when Ring of Honor is at its most valuable, when they've got New Japan at its side. Furthermore, I didn't say this in the tweet because, you know, I just didn't feel like qualifying everything. I, I, I wanted to give uh, an organization its props. But realistically, Ring of Honor and New Japan combined do not sell out Madison Square Garden without the WrestleMania crowd being in town, in my opinion. You know, you, we have to keep in mind that the WWE has created something with WrestleMania weekend that makes people feel as though it's worth traveling from all over the world to see this thing live. And if they're going to be in town, not all of them are going to go to TakeOver. 
Takeover tickets haven't even gone on sale yet. So they're in New York. If they're going to WrestleMania, they're not showing up on Saturday, Sunday morning. So they're going to be there on Saturday. So why not? I'll get to check out this arena. People are interested in seeing Madison Square Garden in general. It's a tourist attraction. They're in town. They're going to go see this New Japan Ring of Honor show. I'm sure there are going to be people there that have never seen Ring of Honor or New Japan in their lives before. But because it's WrestleMania weekend, they're in town. This, there is nothing doom and gloom about this for WWE. Because I got a couple tweets like that too. Nothing about this is threatening to WWE. If anything, this is just a, a pat on the back to WWE about what they've made with their weekend. I think WWE deserves part of the credit for this sellout. I think Ring of Honor and New Japan deserve the lion's share. I think Madison Square Garden as a building deserves some of the share. And I think WWE, for creating WrestleMania weekend as we know it, deserves some of the credit for the fact that they sold out Madison Square Garden. There's a reason why Ring of Honor picked that day with New Japan to run Madison Square Garden. They knew that the WWE was going to attract this audience. There's a reason why WrestleCon takes place in whatever city WrestleMania is in. Because they know that WWE has created this weekend that attracts all these wrestling fans to this town. Now, that still means that wrestling is as healthy as it's ever been outside of WWE. But that certainly doesn't mean that it's any kind of slight on WWE. If anything, this is this is proof that WWE is is doing well. Um, you know, in a roundabout sort of way. I think that that, you know, yeah, it's interesting because I think organizations outside of WWE doing well is good for wrestling, but it's almost like organizations in order to run and I don't even know if you need to run big arenas like this but if you really want to run a big arena like Madison Square Garden or like the arena they're doing for All In you kind of do have to create super shows where it's everyone every major name that's not in WWE is on this show so there's two bodies that can run Madison Square Garden WWE and not WWE Ring of Honor and New Japan combined is not WWE um and that's what can run opposite WWE. Everything that isn't. But it's got to be everything. It can't be one thing that isn't, if that makes sense. Um, so congratulations to Ring of Honor being smart enough to come together with New Japan to create this show uh, that has garnered this much interest. Uh, congratulations to the wrestling world for creating uh, alternatives. Um, you know, I, I, I think that ultimately it's very, very positive but I think that, you know, when, when you compliment the wrestling world, you got to compliment world wrestling entertainment, if that makes sense. Um, you know, a show like All In, that's a different story. That's a totally different story. But, you know, if you're running WrestleMania weekend, you know why you're running WrestleMania weekend. Um, but that's not to take anything away from Ring of Honor or New Japan for coming together like this. I think it's uh, spectacular. And I'm really, really looking forward to the show. You know, I'm sure I'll watch NXT live, but I'll watch the Ring of Honor New Japan show right after. It's going to be a fun Saturday. Fun little Saturday. I don't know if we'll have time. I don't know if we'll have time. Let's get to story number two. NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. I am so excited. I'll be on the kickoff show for this one, um, and I can't wait. NXT TakeOver Brooklyn is, I, I just, it's my favorite TakeOver of the year because of the history that it has. I mean, this is really a takeover that has history. And if SummerSlam is leaving Brooklyn, I don't know if 
TakeOver Brooklyn 5 is going to go down in March or April, whatever the specific date is, the, day, the night before WrestleMania when they're in Brooklyn. Um, I don't know if SummerSlam comes back to Brooklyn uh, after this year. I don't know if it's, in, if it's in the cards or not. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with this show. But in the meantime, TakeOver Brooklyn 4 is the fourth annual. It's the fourth, Mark's year number four that they've been running TakeOvers in arenas like this. And it looks amazing. All the titles are on the line. Let's go over match by match. Um, and we'll end with the title match, of course. Oh, the NXT Championship match, of course. The women's title is on the line. It's Shayna Baszler versus Kadi Sane. I think this is one we've been waiting for for a long time. Um, ever since Kadi Sane won the Mae Young Classic, we've been kind of waiting for her to ascend to the top. All Shayna Baszler has done is improve. Shayna Baszler is one of my favorite people to watch in all of NXT, male or female. Uh, I love what they've done with her. I love the way she's portrayed. I love the. I, I just love everything about her character. Um, but I think, and I think Kati Sane is the perfect person. I think we should see a, a mean streak in Kati Sane at this show. You know, something that makes it so that we take her seriously beyond the pirate outfit that, that reminds us that like, oh, she's a real threat, not just a small person in a pirate outfit. Um, her elbow drop is, is absolutely amazing that you can take a move as common as the elbow drop and reinvent it. Not that many people can do so. Uh, I'm a huge Cuddy Sane fan, and I'm very much looking forward to this match. I do think it'll be Shayna Baszler, but uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. It'll be interesting. Maybe Shayna Baszler will work on the arm or the elbow itself while the match is happening. Maybe she goes up to do the elbow drop, but she just doesn't have that strength in her arm to swing it when she's up there. Maybe she screws it up or something like that. I think it could be really cool. We go to the Tag Team Championship match, and that's uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong, the Undisputed Era, versus Mustache Mountain. Um... And I think that uh, it was good that they gave Mustache Mountain the tag titles at the UK show, number one, because it got that big UK pop, but number two, because it made Mustache Mountain credible. I think that this could go either way. Um, You know, Mustache Mountain is clearly super popular. The NXT UK is an offset of the promotion that clearly... There's a lot of investment in that clearly there's a lot of interest in. So I think the idea that you could have the NXT Tag Team Champions performing on NXT UK, you know, I think that that could immediately get eyes on NXT UK. And it would also give you a reason for putting the Undisputed Era on the UK show as well, just to, you know, draw put some star power there. Um, So I, I, I think if I had to put money on it, I might put it on Mustache Mountain. But I personally, what I would like to see, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of both teams. I'm, I guess I'm a bigger fan of the Undisputed Era. I think that this match is going to be the one that if any match steals the show that's not Gargano Ciampa, it'll be this one. I think we have the potential for a show stealer, like the Revival match was a year or two ago. I think that this match could easily steal the show. I think that all four guys involved in this match are going to come with the intent to steal the show. You know, you're looking at guys like Kyle O'Reilly, um, uh, yeah, Kyle O'Reilly and Roddy Strong that have been waiting for an opportunity like this forever. You're looking at Mustache Mountain that comes over to the States. All four guys in this match, in real life, are there to make names for themselves, are there to prove to the audience 
that they are the ones who deserve to be talked about that weekend. All four guys in that tag match are going to want to be the guys that you leave Brooklyn on Monday, on Tuesday, however long you're staying, talking about. And I think all four guys also know that NXT is the only place in the world where you're going to be able to have that kind of audience watching you do your thing. Once you get to the main roster, you've got a little bit of a WWE polish painted on whatever it is that you do. In NXT, you got a little bit more time. You got a little bit more freedom. You're able to tell those stories in different ways. And I think that all four of these guys are going to take advantage of that fact. And I think that this is the one that's going to give Ciampa and Gargano a run for their money. I do think that we could see a show stealer in the tag title match. Speaking of the Undisputed Era, it's it's their night. It's their night to shine as Adam Cole is defending the United States Championship against Ricochet, which I think is really, really great for Ricochet because it's a contrast in styles. It'll allow us to see Ricochet doing something that isn't just exhibition work, right? You're, it's going to be telling a story, working with a real heel, working with somebody that's not going to do all the aerial moves. You know, it'll give Ricochet a chance to really come across like a hero and be a true good guy in the ring. It's tough for fans to not root for Bebe. It's tough for fans to not root for Adam Cole. But Ricochet is a guy that can get a positive response out of Brooklyn. You know, people have been waiting for so long to see Ricochet in a WWE ring. He's uh, The match with the Velveteen Dream was awesome at the last TakeOver. So, and he's only, he just, he just does well on NXT TV. So I think that that could be cool. Um, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if Ricochet won, but I hope, again, I hope that Adam Cole wins it. I love the Undisputed Era. It'll be a year, by the way. This is what's important. TakeOver Brooklyn 4 marks one year since Adam Cole showed up, joined by Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly, and the Undisputed Era first made their, their mark on NXT, and he did that in the championship match. So, you know, I, I, I think that uh, that will probably be brought up. I think that, that there'll be something to that, but this marks the an- this is the anniversary for the Undisputed Era, and I think that it's important to mention. Um, uh, you'll also have, speaking of uh, Velveteen Dream, you got Velveteen Dream versus EC3. Perfect match in the sense that you look at all the championship matches, and you go, what's left for the Velveteen Dream and EC3? Well, I've got an idea. Velveteen Dream versus EC3. I think uh, another two guys, I don't think they're going to steal the show, but I think they're going to make an attempt. I think that both of them want to steal the show. Um, and and so I think you're going to see something spectacular. I don't think there's one match on this show that is not going to be spectacular. I don't think there's one match on this show that makes you go, oh, yeah, that'll be cool. Every match on this show feels very, very special. And EC3 versus Velveteen Dream is one of them. Uh, it's also interesting because I feel like both guys need the win. Both guys need the spotlight on a pay-per-view. Velveteen Dream, he's clearly a future superstar, right? Like, he's clearly one of the guys that you leave NXT talking about whenever you go to an NXT show. But he's also one of the guys uh, that, because his character is so strong and his work is so strong, he can afford to lose without really looking bad, he loses. And I think that it's time for, for him to win. Now, EC3, he wasn't at the last, I mean, he was at the last takeover. He did the kickoff show with us, but he wasn't, he didn't have a match. 
And the one before that was his first takeover when he was in that ladder match. So he hasn't had a pay-per-view win yet. They're clearly starting uh, uh, something with Reeves and EC3, if you've been watching NXT TV. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kona Reeves gets somehow involved in this thing and costs him the match. Because I do think Velveteen Dream deserves it. And Kona Reeves said something very, very interesting on NXT TV, which was, um, we could have been best friends. But, you know, whatever he said. He did his catchphrase after that. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Kona Reeves becomes best friends with the Velveteen Dream. Who I think Kona Reeves is great. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he teams up with Velveteen Dream and costs EC3 the match, and we see Kona Reeves and Velveteen Dream as, a, as an allied pair coming off of this takeover. And, of course, the championship match, brilliant work by NXT. Brilliant work. It's now a last-man-standing match between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. Now, I'm always going to think it's a risk to do this match, I think, just because the last two have been so good. I thought it was a risk last time to do Gargano Ciampa 2 because the first one was so good, but the second one was so good. So it makes me think that the third one, it's a little bit less of a risk. I worry for these for the health of these two men because they're going to put each other through all the torture that a human body can withstand for the sake of our entertainment. Um, I loved, loved the video that they did uh, explaining why Aleister Black wasn't involved. And I talked about this last week on the podcast, uh, that the thing about NXT is that it's taped in advance, so you need to cut and paste to try to uh, figure out storylines if they change right before a pay-per-view, and that's exactly what happened here. It was supposed to be a triple threat match between Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, and Aleister Black. Aleister Black gets injured. What are you going to do? They make it a one-on-one match, but in order to explain the absence of Aleister Black, they show him getting jumped in a parking lot. But they showed it in a way that I haven't seen before. It was like the NXT version of Who Shot Mr. Burns. Right, Gargano walks past. He comes in. You've got uh, uh, you got everybody, everybody. You got you got um, um, the undisputed era running through in their jeep. And not only did you have all of these cameos by superstars, watch this video on WWE's YouTube channel if you get a chance. Not only did you have all these cameos from NXT superstars, but they were all in character. Right, like it was all it was almost like this is going on and that's going on, and it made you feel like the world that you see on TV is always kind of happening down there in Florida. And it's all kind of happening at the same time. And now, as fans, we can sit there and have all these theories about which one of those people had something to do with Aleister Black getting jumped, or was it somebody else entirely? It's close quarters there in NXT. The idea that everybody's hanging out in that parking lot is not that far-fetched. I I just love that they turned it in to, like, a mystery. You know, I really, I, I, I I was very excited by it. And it made me go, like, you know, that's just creative. It's like... A lot of times, it's, and, and you know, it, it, it's lazy, it's because there's so much going on, it's whatever it is you don't see in storytelling. And this is not just wrestling, this is wrestling, this is movies, TV, this is everything. In, in books, in storytelling, a lot of times there are places that story could be put into that's left out. When this video came out, it made me feel like the people responsible for NXT are interested in cramming as much story into every second 
that they get. Every time they get eyes on them, they want to put a little bit of story into it. You could have easily just had Alistair Black get jumped in a parking lot. William Regal goes, oh no, what happened? And that's it. But instead, story here, story here, story here. You just, it's just content, 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 and something that will allow people to talk. So I, I, I thought it was really, really, really well done. Um, it makes me highly optimistic for the Gargano Champa match itself. And honestly, if you need something to make you optimistic for the Gargano Champa match, go back to the last two takeovers and watch the main events of those shows. I don't know how they top it, but I didn't know how they were going to top the first one. So I leave here optimistically. Um, looking at that card, I think this could, could be the best Brooklyn takeover of all time. Um, honestly... It feels like every takeover is better than the last, which would lead you to believe that the last takeover is the best one ever. So this could be one of the best takeovers I've ever seen. I feel, I really feel that way. The role NXT is on and that card that I'm looking at, I don't see how you can complain about it. Let's go to story number one. And story number one is SummerSlam. I said at the top of the show that uh, SummerSlam is becoming low-key a really great card. I was thinking about it last night and just getting really, really excited for what is on the table for SummerSlam. I mean, let's go through the matches. You got a three-match kickoff show where you got the tag team championships on the line, the B-team versus the Revival. Everything the B-team has done has been great, especially the post-show on Extreme Rules. Um, you've got uh, Rusev and Lana versus uh, Almas and Zelina Vega. And yes, I wish... Andrade Almas was, you know, the top guy on SmackDown the way he was the top guy on NXT. Not everybody can be the top guy, but it's it's cool that after all the time in NXT, Zelina Vega's actually wrestling. It's almost like somebody told Vince McMahon that Zelina Vega can wrestle, and he was like, well, then it's not enough that she's talking. Let's get her in the ring. I, I'm, I'm happy for Zelina Vega that she's getting to uh, be inside a ring and actually wrestle. Um, and I think it's really cool that it's happening at SummerSlam. And of course, also amazing that it's happening at SummerSlam is the Cruiserweight title match between uh, uh, Cedric Alexander and Drew Gulak. Mainly exciting for me because of Drew Gulak, and that's because of the history we have. I mean, go back, I don't know, two years or so on this podcast, maybe more. I was in Los Angeles. I went to a PWG show. It was January because Wrestle Kingdom was on. Um, but I went to a PWG show with Kathy Kelly and we did some interviews outside of PWG. One was with Adam Cole on a hotel balcony and the other was with Drew Gulak. We just drove around, found a stoop with a house under construction behind us and did this interview. The interview's on YouTube. The interview is, uh, uh, on this podcast. If you go through the archives, it was a great interview. Um, but just seeing that guy who I saw on PWG, who I interviewed, not only be a, a WWE superstar, but to get that Cruiserweight title shot at SummerSlam, especially with the great work that he's been doing, not only in the ring, but with the PowerPoints and the character that he's been playing. Drew Gulak is riding uh, at an all-time high at the moment, so I'm glad that he's the one getting the shot at Cedric Alexander, and he's a true heel. He's a real bad guy, and, and, and it's fun to have good storytelling on 205 Live. It's one of the things that I hope will get people to watch that show. So we move on to the uh, to the main show, to SummerSlam, uh, which it's going to be a long one. I mean, there's a lot of matches on this show. Some of them are going to be quick, I'm sure. It's going to be a long show, though. You know, 7 o'clock. I'd be surprised if it ends at midnight. 
plus the kickoff show. So you're looking at about seven hours. I bet you. I bet. I bet you're going from five to midnight on this show, based on the matches. Strap in, Brooklyn. Um, SmackDown tag team titles are on the line. The Bludgeon Brothers versus the New Day. I'm a little surprised this is the direction they went in. Um, I think the New Day is going to show up because I think they're going to want to remind everybody of how good they are. But, you know, I kind of wanted to see the Bar versus the Bludgeon Brothers. Maybe they don't want the Bludgeon Brothers to beat the Bar, but they want them to keep the tag titles. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't be super surprised if this is the night that the seeds get planted for the New Day breakup, though. I would not be shocked if the seeds start getting planted within this match for the New Day breakup. If somebody loses because of a miscommunication and the Bludgeon Brothers walk out tag team champions, wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me one bit. Of course, you've got Finn Balor versus Constable Corbin. You know, I think that that's just a continuation of that story and maybe just a spot for those two guys to be on the show. But I would imagine Finn Balor will win the match. People have been asking about the Demon. Um, I'm glad that the Demon hasn't been out yet. You know, I think if you look at the time that's passed, we're certainly owed a demon appearance. But if you look at the storyline, has there anything on has anything on TV been demon worthy? I don't think so. So I think it's smart to leave the demon off for now. I mean, look, if the demon comes out, I'm always going to be excited. But I think in the big picture, better leave the demon for the big stories, and who knows what is in store for Finn Balor after this. Hopefully he wins, and it's something big. Um, Jeff Hardy versus Nakamura for the United States Championship. I think we know Randy Orton's going to get involved some way. I wouldn't be shocked if Randy Orton turns on Nakamura, just to shake everybody up. Uh, Intercontinental Championship. Seth Rollins with Dean Ambrose versus Dolph Ziggler with Drew McIntyre. Man, End of Raw was awesome this week. It really was awesome. And for a show that doesn't have a universal champion, well, I guess they do. He just doesn't wrestle. Um, you got to give him credit for heightening the importance of the Intercontinental Championship. That leads me to believe something else, which I'll talk about later. But they really are building up the Intercontinental Championship as something that's really, really important. Um, I mean, it headlined... Extreme Rules, that Iron Man match. It headlined Raw this week. Uh, and and I love it, it, it's so cool. It, it's so good when something happens that's expected and it still gets that, that reaction. You know, I think from the moment that Kurt Angle said, of course there's a stipulation that Seth Rollins can have somebody in his corner. You can have somebody in your corner. People started going, okay, okay, I see what's coming here. You know, the Dean Ambrose chatter started in the Twitterverse, in the WWE Universe, I'm sure in the arena. People expected Dean Ambrose to come to the ring. It's a really good thing when people get what they expected and they lose their minds for it. Dean Ambrose coming out looking way more lunatic than ever. You know, I think the haircut short is great. You know, he looks badass. He looks ready to kick ass is what he looks like. And plus, he's just yoked to hell. I mean, the, the Dean Ambrose that I saw looked like the lunatic fringe. I think that, that this is, you, I haven't heard many people complain about it. I think that, that Dean Ambrose has a great look going right now. He's way bigger than he used to be. The short hair is good. Embrace what's going on with the forehead. I know I am. I'm dealing with the same thing. I got it, Ambrose. Embrace it. You're the lunatic fringe, right? I, I, I wouldn't be surprised though. He looks like a bad guy. In the best way possible, he looks like a bad guy. You know, I wouldn't be 
I wouldn't be surprised if Dean Ambrose turns heel at SummerSlam, either during the match or right after the match or whatever it is. Um, you know, the question is, does Seth Rollins win the Intercontinental title? I like Seth Rollins as Intercontinental Champion. I'd like to see Seth Rollins as Intercontinental Champion, if only because he doesn't appear that he's going to win the Universal Championship anytime soon, and I think he's the guy who should be pushed as the face of Raw. So having the Intercontinental Championship puts him there. But if they're going to do Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins, and I think a really compelling story could be told between Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins with Dean Ambrose as the bad guy, What's more valuable, putting the Intercontinental Championship with Dolph Ziggler or making the Dean Ambrose-Seth Rollins feud about the Intercontinental Championship? I would argue keeping the title on Dolph Ziggler is more important. I think that uh, Dean Ambrose versus Seth Rollins is compelling enough without a title. And I think that Dolph Ziggler is made into much more of a superstar with the title. You know, I think if you leave the title on Dolph Ziggler going forward, you have the potential to do Seth Rollins versus Dean Ambrose and Dolph Ziggler defends the Intercontinental Championship against X. If you put the title with Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose, you've only got one half of that equation. You can do a Dolph Ziggler grudge match or something, but it's not quite the same. So if it's if I'm in charge, Dean Ambrose is turning on Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler is walking out the champion. If... I'm the one who's in charge. Of course, you got uh, Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens with the Money in the Bank briefcase on the line. Um, I think Kevin Owens will probably walk out with the briefcase. You know, such a big deal has been made out of this. If he doesn't, it's almost like, okay, mm, okay. Um, so I, I, I think Kevin Owens will walk out with the briefcase. Um, clearly, it has implications for the main event, right? I mean, people are kind of hoping that the winner of this match is the one who's the champion, not Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar. But I don't know. I don't I don't see it. I don't see it happening. I don't see the briefcase being cashed in at SummerSlam. I think Kevin Owens might come out. I think what I would do, I would have Kevin Owens win the Money in the Bank briefcase and then come out midway through the Roman Reigns-Brock uh, Lesnar match but have Brock Lesnar take him out. And then Kevin Owens, as he's being taken out, grabs the briefcase, holds it, and doesn't actually cash in and, like, runs away. So we get the reaction of, oh, my God, Kevin Owens is going to cash it in. But the minute he realizes that Brock Lesnar is strong enough to beat him up, he runs away with it again. So we see, I, I would do a tease just to spice up Brock Lesnar versus Roman, but I wouldn't go all the way. And if you do a tease, then you've got something built in with Kevin Owens and those two moving on later but yeah I would have Kevin Owens win and also I, I don't think that you know you've sold your monster in the bank, bank briefcase t-shirts or whatever it is so I, I, I think it's almost like Braun Strowman with the briefcase almost feels like a distraction from Braun Strowman I don't think he needs the briefcase I don't think it does much for him so yeah I would, I would definitely put it on Kevin Owens um, the Elias performance I would imagine there'll be a surprise here and I don't think it'll be Bobby Lashley I would I would think there'll be something even bigger than Bobby Lashley. You know, maybe Bobby Lashley will get jumped before the thing or something, and then I, I, I think there'll be a surprise here, just like there was at WrestleMania. You know, WrestleMania, the surprise was that he did it in the middle of all this Undertaker-John Cena stuff. I think that this the, the Elias performance, if they're not going to do the Elias-Bobby Lashley match, 
I think they'll do something special with the Elias performance. Clearly, they're going all the way with him. Um, he's performing at the Gramercy Theater. Same building that Bruce Pritchard is going to be performing in earlier that day, I believe. So, um, yeah, I think it, I think I think there'll be something special going on with that. And I don't think it'll be Lashley. I think it'll be either a return or a surprise appearance. Maybe that's where you're finally going to get The Rock to come out. Who knows? Who really knows? Uh, of course, you've got uh, Daniel Bryan versus The Miz. To me, probably the match I'm looking forward to the most. I talked about it on the, on the show last week about what WWE needs to do to hype up this match, and they did it. They did it. That three-part video series on SmackDown was perfect. Um, I kind of hope The Miz wins. Because if The Miz wins, then the story's not over. If Daniel Bryan wins, I kind of feel like the story's over. I hope The Miz wins and then avoids him. I hope The Miz wins against Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. And AJ Styles beats Samoa Joe, which is, I guess, the next match we'll talk about. AJ Styles versus Samoa Joe. I think that's going to be great. I think AJ Styles wins. Miz wins. Miz goes on to challenge AJ Styles. Miz beats AJ Styles. Miz is the one that beats AJ Styles. Samoa Joe challenges Miz after that. Miz beats Samoa Joe. Daniel Bryan wins the Royal Rumble. Miz versus Daniel Bryan. Championship on the line. The only way this works is if Miz beats Daniel Bryan clean. That's what I'm doing. Miz beats Daniel Bryan clean at SummerSlam. Beats AJ Styles in September. Beat Samoa Joe at Survivor Series. Does a little something in December. Oh, you know what? Miz beats AJ Styles for the title, right? In September. At Survivor Series, he beats AJ Styles again for that title. In December, he beats Samoa Joe. At Royal Rumble, maybe he beats Samoa Joe again. Maybe he beats Andrade. Maybe he beats somebody else. But... At the Royal Rumble, Daniel Bryan wins. And Daniel Bryan gets his rematch. Daniel Bryan's rematch with The Miz, where he can avenge his loss, doesn't happen until WrestleMania. Miz won't have the match. He's already beaten him. He's not giving him a match. That's why Daniel Bryan has to win the Royal Rumble. That's my view. That's what I do. I think The Miz has deserved a title, the WWE Championship for a long time. I think he'll put a spotlight on it. Uh, I think that the Daniel Bryan mismatch should happen at WrestleMania. I think that it's the hottest story in the WWE potentially. And I think that waiting until WrestleMania to have that rematch only adds to it and creates an amazing story for the year since Daniel Bryan has been back in WWE. So that's where I'd go with that. Um, both, you know, that covers the WWE championship match as well. Triple threat, Charlotte, Becky, um, and Carmella. Carmella leaves with the championship. Becky Lynch turns heel. Charlotte and Becky have a rivalry. Um, Ronda Rousey versus Alexa Bliss. It's hard to believe that Ronda Rousey won't win the Raw championship. You know, you might say it's early. But Ronda Rousey is not in WWE to lose. You know, and she lost... She lost against Nia Jax in her first women's championship opportunity. If she loses again in a Raw Women's Championship match, it becomes difficult to judge. She starts becoming like Roman Reigns, like that broken record of, well, I got screwed. I need another championship match and another championship match. I think we're probably going to see Ronda win that Raw Women's Championship. 
But I think it's going to be great. It's certainly a spotlight for Alexa Bliss to shine in. Um, and I think that it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good pairing because it's so unconventional. And of course, the Universal Championship match, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Now, let's talk about the segment on Raw a little bit. I thought this segment in and of itself was a good segment. I liked that Brock uh, that Paul Heyman had uh, pepper spray. Uh, Brock Lesnar surprised everybody by beating up Roman Reigns. The segment in itself was a good segment. However, I think if you're talking about benefiting the Universal Championship match at SummerSlam as much as you can, for me, keeping Paul Heyman up in the air made the match more compelling. You know, I think you have a better chance of selling Brock Lesnar as a villain if Paul Heyman doesn't walk to the ring with him. I think that people could believe that Roman Reigns is going to turn heel and become a Paul Heyman guy. People kind of want that. You know, WWE knows that it's something people have been talking about. So I do wish that Paul Heyman's alliance was a little bit up in the air, and who knows? You know, he could do the ultimate swerve and still turn on Brock and go with Roman. It's possible. Not probable, but possible. Um, for me, I think Brock is going to, I think Brock is going to win. You know, I think that, that Brock is keeping the universal championship. I think they're really building Brock Lesnar into a hateable, unbeatable guy who the fans are just dying to see lose. You know, I think we're getting there, but we're not quite there yet. You know, he's really, the the WWE is really going to make it count when Brock Lesnar loses. I don't think Roman wins the title. I think Brock Lesnar beats him clean, and Roman's got to go find himself. Roman's got to start from square one again, tell a whole new story. Um, And I think this is where a Braun Strowman, a Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens running around with the briefcase, those guys start poking their heads up to see who is going to be the universal champion. But I also think that if WWE is going to take such measures to make the Intercontinental Championship as important as they are, they're probably bracing themselves for a period of time where the Universal Championship won't be on Raw. Um, So I think Brock Lesnar will win. It wouldn't shock me to see Brock Lesnar walk into the UFC in February holding the title, the Universal Championship. It'll definitely be the last time Roman Reigns for a while can ask for a title shot. No more complaining about getting screwed. I think he'll lose clean. Um... But yeah, I think we're going to end another pay-per-view with Brock Lesnar with the title and a lot of people shocked by it. That's what I think. But I'm very, very excited about it. I think it could be good. It has a potential to be very, very fun. Speaking of very, very fun, the whole weekend's going to be fun. Takeover, of course, if you're listening to this on the Thursday that it came out, August 16th, I'll be at Caroline's on Broadway at 9.30 p.m. for the 200th episode of this here podcast. You can get tickets at carolines.com. Thank you all for being a part of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and we will see you next week when Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast becomes Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. 
Your Xfinity Home security system can't walk the dog, but it can tell you what he does while you're not around. And it can't stop your kids from sneaking out either. But it can let you choose what real-time security alerts you receive. So you're always in control. No matter what you're doing around the house, Xfinity Home can help with a new way to customize your home security. And it was named the best professionally installed home security system by CNET. Click, call 1-800-XFINITY or demo in your local Xfinity store today. Xfinity Home. Simple. Easy. Awesome. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas.